Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Vets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the conference championship betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, is Colin Wilson. It's our 200th episode. First, I want to shout out to all of you, audio team on the back end, make it all possible. A brand new podcast with zero subscribers last August to... Now 200 episodes, millions of downloads, and uh, top 200 sports podcasts consistently just 16 months later. So, uh, yeah, thank you again for all tuning in. Let's close the year strong, and it's been quite a ride, Colin, from uh, gin and juice days. Yeah, 2017 days of the gin and juice, getting a guy off of Fiverr.com to get us a little uh, jingle theme to get into the beginning. And by the way, it's almost 201 episodes because Mitchell almost forgot to hit the record button a couple weeks ago. So this almost was the 201st time that you and I have recorded, but it seems like so long ago when you and I were doing this in 2017 and uh, it was just a struggle to get it recorded, clipped, posted, so much ambition. And here we are. I'm so happy. Couldn't I can't wait to see how far we go. It's been a hell of a ride, and let's close the year strong. We're going to go through all 10 conference championships on today's show, and then we will have our final recap episode on that'll come out Monday morning. So make sure you call into the voicemails all weekend. Make them funny. I'm going to heavily weight the caller of the year, the uh, Haiti Smith Award, the voicemail caller of the year for the funniest one. So, like, you know, I, I want I want stuff like the Brett McMur- live reporting Brett, Brett McMurphy from Club Lit, things like that. And then that'll be the final recap episode. Then we'll have a four part bowl preview that'll start like December 13th. Hey, Stucky, it's Matt. That's right. We'll have our traditional four part college football bowl betting previews starting 
Wednesday afternoon, December 14th, and continuing with episodes on Monday, December 19th, Monday, December 26th, and Wednesday afternoon, December 28th, ending with a special national championship episode the week of January 2nd. Plus, we'll have the group of five guys with a G5 Bowl preview. We'll have our college basketball episodes. Thanks for listening. Let's dive right in. Let's start with some Friday night lights. We have two bowl games on Friday. We will start with the Conference USA Championship. North Texas travels to UTSA. UTSA, eight and a half point favorite here. Over under is up to 70. This game is 730 Eastern CBS Sports Network. Live from the Alamo Dome, indoors in San Antonio, Texas. These two teams actually met earlier this year in San Antonio. And UTSA won in the final seconds, which has been kind of a theme for them all year. They have some wild last-minute wins. I can tell you what I bet. I mentioned this on the new BCS episode earlier this week. I bet I one of my favorite bet was this over, and that it's taking money. I mean, if you look back when they first played earlier this year – the total was like, I think, close at 72 or 73, which I think is more of a fair number here. And they only scored nine points in the first half. A lot of like sacks, turnovers in the first half. And they scored 40 in the second half. They went from nine to 40. And I don't think either team's going to have trouble moving the ball. I also think there's some value in North Texas. Also, massive backdoor ability. I don't think the market's properly weighting the struggles of this UTSA defense, which might be a little undermanned. They've now faced four straight backup quarterbacks. So, you know, if you if you look at some of the games where they face starters, even Army threw for 300 yards against them. So I think Austin Audi and company will have success moving the ball here. I do think UTSA also will have success. But uh, Phil Bennett, defense coordinator for North Texas, his defenses usually improve as the year goes on. And before I get your thoughts, Colin, I, I do want to mention – this might be a, a theme on some of the games because there's five matchups this weekend where there's revenge from an earlier season matchup. North Texas lost, Tulane lost, USC lost to Utah, Kansas State lost to TCU, and Fresno State lost to Boise. You look back over since 2005, teams that lost the first meeting and then replay, then play each other again in the conference championship, they've only gone, they've gone 23 and 23 against the spread. So market is pricing that revenge angle pretty efficiently. However, I will say that 31 of the 46 teams, around just above 67%, improved their scoring margin in the second meeting by an average of about eight points. Um, and that includes three underdogs that lost an OT. So I think that there is a slight edge to being the team that lost in the first meeting. You know, you're, you're the one, you're the team that might have more of the onus to make the adjustments, while the team that won might just, try the same things, but the market seems to price that angle efficiently. But I just think UTSA's defense and their struggles and how bad they are isn't being captured in the market because of some of the quality of quarterbacks they face. I mean, look, they didn't face Hopkins at UAB. They faced, you know, Liddy, um, some of the worst backups in the conference. They got to face, they faced Padgett at Rice, which I think are are bringing some of their, they're already poor numbers on defense up a little bit. So I like North Texas. I like the over here. Uh, if, you're listening to this, I would get in on it because it seems like there's going to be some sharp money continuing to push this total up. What do you see here in the Conference USA title game? 
I have 100% agreeance with you. And what's interesting about that initial game that they played is you mentioned nine points in the first half. It was 13-10 going into the fourth. A blitz, a blitz of points in the fourth quarter. 35 points. UTSA needed a TD with 10 seconds left, which says this one should be a pretty close battle. But then you look at there's some questionable players on both sides. I mean, North Texas is going to miss cornerback Deshaun. Gaddy, uh, linebacker, Mason Richards. Richards has seven half sacks, 10 half tackles for loss, probably their best defensive player. So that points to UTSA having some success on offense, despite the fact that they are going to be without DeCorey and Clark at wide receiver. Uh, Brendan Brady has been their workhorse running back. It looks like he's not going to be there. So this is the Frank Harris show. UTSA is going to be able to get points up, but so is Seth Luttrell and North Texas. You know, UTSA is going to get explosive TDs out of receivers, Tyke Ogle Kellogg and, and Zakari Franklin, who've really picked up the slack there. Uh, I think North Texas is worth a play at 10. I can see it teetering down in these in these dead numbers. Uh, it's definitely something that I think is more likely to be at nine and a half than it would go back to seven and a half. Uh, but Latrell said it in his presser this week. He said, to attack UTSA, you have to pass to open up the run. And immediately when he said that, the board takes off to the over. So I do like the over 69 being key. Uh, but North Texas, I this should end up in a one possession game. I think it's back and forth. And considering the injuries that we have on both sides of the ball, it, it should be nothing but scoring here. Yeah, and that is the way to attack. That is the correct take. That is the way to attack this UTSA defense, which is stronger uh, up front against the run than they are against the pass. I mean, when Army is throwing for... 300 yards against you you know you have some holes there and like i said if you remove or adjust for some of the really really poor backups they faced uh i mean and look this is a team that got a really fortunate in a lot of close games even when they faced jacob zeno and uab they probably should have lost that game i think they won in overtime or double overtime and if uh this game is like 14 late north texas easily can go down the field here and get in the back door if required. But I think this will actually be close. Points in the dog here are the way to go. All right, let's move on to a game that you have a lot of interest in from a futures perspective, the Pac-12 Conference Championship. This game's Friday night, 8 p.m. on Fox in Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Utah was able to sneak in to take on USC. USC, two and a half, three-point favorite here, over under 67-ish. When these two teams met early in the year, Utah won by one in a wild game that went shattered the total. USC, what has a top, one of the five best turnover margins over the past 20 years, and it just hasn't stopped. Even last week against Notre Dame, you get a couple lucky bounces. That's the difference in the game. UCLA, you get four turnovers. Oregon State, all the bounces. Like, are these... These close games, they're getting all the bounces. You'd think it would have to stop at some point, um, but maybe not. Sometimes these things never regress during one season. But, you know, there's there's some questions on you – know, USC, regardless, their defense is wretched. We, Notre Dame averaged eight yards per play last week. They can't stop anybody. They can't stop the run. They won't be able to stop rising. They can't stop tight ends, which is a nightmare against Kincaid, who went bananas against them in the first meeting. But – Utah, Cam Rising, is he healthy? Can he use his legs as much? You know, he's been dealing with an injury. Is Kincaid healthy? That's a major question. And Utah's defense can't 
stop the run. We've talked about it. They're kind of a shell of themselves of what we've seen in recent years. And as I mentioned many times, Lincoln Riley offense, it starts and ends with the run. And USC has been very good in that department with or without Travis Dye. And that sets up the rest of the offense. Now, Utah does have a really good secondary that can battle these receivers. And they were able to get some pressure in the first meeting. Um, But yeah, I mean, I make this game around a pick ish. And if you think about it, Utah was what a three and a half to four point favorite at home. That's a big home field advantage. And, you know, at three, Utah kind of interests me. But just the health of rising, the health of Kincaid, I don't know. I mean, I might just wait to bet this game live. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts, number one, on what you think of the game. I would also lean over. I don't know who's getting stops in this game and uh, how you're approaching the your hedge of your Utah future. Well, early in the week, USC was minus one at some shops that opened up. So I was able to get some down there. Uh, I am going to take half of my Utah future and place it on USC, even though I think Utah covers this game and has a great chance to win again. Uh, The problem is, is you can't handicap this USC team looking at their penalties at their second order win total. Uh, And frankly, what Caleb Williams is doing outside the pocket is you just can't cap it. Right. I mean, these busted plays where he's rolling all over the place. The Utah defense is just going to have to be on point. And the loss of Tavian Thomas, I'll start on the offense for Utah. The loss of Tavian Thomas. And by the way, when he's doing that, they're not calling, like, they're not calling holding on USC. They're not calling a legal man downfield. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if USC gets any penalties this week. And we're trying to handicap the Pac 12 refs here, right? Do, Do you want your conference to go to the college football playoff? Or are you going to piss down your leg as a conference like you have almost every single year since Washington made the playoff back in 2016? As for Utah, you know, I mean, Tavian Thomas, I don't think the loss of him is really that substantial. When you look at Jaquindon uh, Jackson, he's been explosive and elusive, 4.5 yards after contact on 53 carries. Uh, he moves like uh, like a Grand Prix, like a like a race car when he goes down the field. Uh, you know, I know the defense, the highlights, if you go and look them up, the highlights are against the Colorado defense, but he is still extremely fast out of the gate. And the USC rush defense is terrible. They're bottom five of the nation and success rate. Anybody can run on this USC defense, but you're right. All eyes should be on Dalton Kincaid. He had, uh, when we handicapped this game before, and when we handicap every Utah game, especially against Oregon, it's about the 12, 13 and 14 packages. It's about the tight end sets that they come out there. It confuses every Pac-12 defense. It's just not something that a lot of Pac-12 offenses run. And Dalton Kincaid had 234 yards, a season high 16 targets against USC. They don't come back and get that touchdown and Cam Rising goes for a two-point conversion without Dalton Kincaid. If he's not playing in this game, I don't like Utah's chances to try to keep up here. And it should be because you know, we know USC can't stop tight ends because a, a week after getting torched by the UCLA no-name tight end, yeah, uh, they knew what Notre Dame wants to do is throw it to Michael Mayer, and <laughs> he had a huge game and two touchdowns. So if Kincaid's healthy, you know he's going to get his. Yeah, I think one thing where we might disagree, and I can see that the market is disagreeing with me, and I'll take the last number, is that USC has done things as a team offensively that you would court, you would connect the dots and make them an under team. And the reason is because during that Utah game, they would line up in 10 personnel, no running backs. Uh, I'm sorry, no tight ends. 
one running back and they would just be four verts, uh, you know, read it to Travis die, let it go. That's changed. Now they run 11. They run a ton of tight end and they're running there. They have a rush rate that is increasing by the week. And you would think with Travis die injury that that wouldn't be the case, but Austin Jones had 25 carries against Notre Dame. USC is running the ball a lot. And the philosophy there is get Caleb out of third and scramble, right? Keep him from having to be behind the chains all the time. Austin Jones has been great. But at the same time, when you turn into an 11 personnel from a 10 personnel and you're running a lot more, that eats up a lot more clock and it shaves off a couple possessions per each team. So I think that is one big key factor for USC you've got to watch for. Now, listen, we went over against Notre Dame because there was like 30 points in the fourth quarter. So these things keep happening where defenses can't keep track of Caleb Williams and he keeps on making these plays. But you mentioned that Utah's defenders or secondary were able to keep up. And that's the reason that Caleb Williams struggled against Utah. Nobody put more pressure, more hurries, and more sacks on Caleb Williams than Utah did. And I don't think it's because their defensive line is especially good at a pass rush. It's because they covered everybody in the backfield. So I lean to the under, uh, but I'm willing. I mean, I've lost this under bet against USC so many times, uh, you know, where I need Dorian Thompson Robinson to be the best defense, uh, <laughs> you know, to for, I mean, it's just amazing to me that, that these USC games, the way that they played out, but I, I do like the under from the perspective that USC is running the ball a lot more and Utah is going to be able to be disciplined in their coverage and make Caleb Williams have a tougher time throwing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to play the over just because I'm not sure a healthy rising is, I mean, yeah, he was, he looked great against Colorado, but who doesn't, and I don't know how healthy Kincaid is. Um, that'll keep me off the over for sure. Um, I don't show a ton of value in it anyway, but here's the question before we move on to Saturday is, you know, you've, we talked about this earlier in the week, but I don't know if you've had more time to mull this over. And by the way, sorry if I sound clogged up by the flu, which is awful. Uh, the, you know, if I'm, I'm starting to lean, I, I was saying, look, these four teams are going to get in, even if they lose. But you said, that I think if USC loses, so I think TCU is in. You know, yeah. As long as they don't lose by like 50, I think that they're in. Um but now, but I'm thinking like USC, aren't they losing the same team twice? Is the committee just going to say, yeah, your defense sucks. You lost two games to the same team and Ohio State only lost one to a team already in the playoff. We're going to put Ohio State in. So now I'm leaning to that. And so from a futures perspective, you know, I've seen people bet Bama. A big future came in on Bama, bet him, Jim. I think Bama's toast. I don't yeah. think that they're getting in. But I think that if USC loses, I, I think that there's a chance now. I didn't think there was, and I don't think it's right um, that Ohio State's going to sneak in if Utah wins. Would you agree oh, with that? And yeah, one hundred percent. I said that on Green Dot Daily this morning that uh, we can throw out strength of record, strength of schedule. We can throw out all these advanced stats to do a head-to-head comparison between Ohio State and USC. By the way, it turns out Ohio State would win those battles, but. The almighty loss column. I mean, you can't argue with the college football playoff committee's ranking in previous past. There have been two lost teams that are better than one loss teams that have made the playoff. There was an Alabama Ohio State example years ago. And the thing is, is if you have an embarrassing loss, you're just not going to be allowed to get in, especially on your home turf. Um, but I'm sorry, that applies to Ohio State. But if USC loses, they'll have two losses. Ohio State will have one. If the resumes match up from all those advanced analytics that the committee says that they look at, they're going to end up picking Ohio State. 
And I'm sure that they won't be a three seed. They'll be a four seed to avoid a rematch. All right, let's move on to Saturday. Let's start noon Eastern on ESPN with the MAC championship. It's a MACTION Toledo taking on Ohio at Ford Field in Detroit. Ohio's a one and a half point underdog over under 55. Over the past 15 years, indoor overs are 28, 25, and one. It's you know, 53% since 2005. They go over by an average of about two points per game, which is pretty close to my upward dome adjustment in this game, which is probably the highest because the MAC games are, you know, played a lot of times on like, in weather and on, you know, outdoors. And um, so there's, there's definitely a, a speed upgrade in this game since 2005 in the Mac. Well, since the Mac championship has been in Ford field, average of 57 meeting of 60 points scored for what it's worth. Quarterback situations. You got to start there for both of these teams. Curtis work was announced out for the year. Maybe there, it was a big smoke screen, but I don't, I think, I think do think he's out for the year and their backup came in and got them here with a win over Bowling Green. They ran a lot of option stuff, and uh, he looked pretty good. Now, the problem with that is that it was a kind of a new – he had a lot of new wrinkles in the offense, but Toledo has film on it now. So how effective will the backup be in the second game? Toledo also has quarterback questions. Daquan Finn, who was trending towards like the MAC player of the year, earlier in the year, he got hurt. Then you had Tucker Gleason, his backup, completely different – style of players like Finn is more of a runner uses his legs and mobility Gleason is a pure pocket passer but Gleason has a steel plate in his hand mm. uh Finn actually he was in a boot recently but he tried to play last week but he couldn't move he threw two picks and then he they pulled him back out and put Gleason in no team has disappointed more as a favorite than Toledo over the past two years uh they just I think it has to fall on Jason Candle and that coaching staff Mac underdogs, for what it's worth, have dominated in the uh, Mac championship. They are the number one conference by far. They're 12 4 and 1 against the spread since 2005. 75%. I, you know, I have an Ohio future at 18, 20, and like a tiny bit of 25 to 1. So I did hedge a little bit here. I probably would have let it go as I did the last two years with. Uh, Ball State and Kent State worked out one year, didn't the other. But I had to with just the questions at the backup quarterback. I do worry about the film that Toledo has. Toledo does have a really good defense on paper. Ohio's defense also has been trending up since about midseason. They made some schematic changes. Some, some of the younger players are contributing more. So their defense has been trending. I would lean under here, even though it's indoors. My numbers say Toledo, because I have them favored over a field goal. So I think there's some value there. But they disappoint all the time. Ohio seems like they're on a mission. There's just so many quarterback questions in this game. I don't really have to worry about this game. I might add the under, but I'm going to be – I hedged a little bit with Toledo. be rooting for Ohio because I'm going to win a lot. I'm making sure that if Ohio wins, I win a lot more. Uh, what do you see here? Toledo is that gif of that old man that's crouching down saying, call the police, call the police, and then he pops up and he's got a gun and he says, not for me though. Right. I mean, Toledo <laughs> – Call Toledo. an ambulance. Call an ambulance. Yeah, call an ambulance. For me. Call an ambulance. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, listen, these two teams are going in completely separate directions. Ohio's, Ohio's covered eight straight. Toledo's hasn't covered five straight. Uh, Daquan Finn, he hasn't fully healed from his ankle injury. Like you said, he got hurt during Bowling Green. So did Tucker Gleason, broke his hand. 
you know, I, I mean, and Tucker Gleason's passing numbers are nothing great. I mean, 13 of 38, an interception, no big time throws. He's had 13 scrambles his last two games. He's not the most fleet of foot. And, you know, you wonder about how Ohio is going to attack this. And Tim Albin and his presser said, uh, we want to absolutely 100% focus on taking the ground game away from Toledo. And I think that's it's important to realize that if you're going to allow Toledo to be a pass only offense, they've struggled a little bit in that aspect. They're, you know, they they do have explosive plays, but that's come through Daquan Finn's arm. And that's after he scrambles and has designed runs. And so when you take that out from a pure pocket perspective, it's just not an offense that is very high in success rate whatsoever. They are outside the mid FBS and success rate on the ground and through the air. And it looks like Ohio's, you know, plan of attack is to take the ground game away. So if you're going to do that, then Toledo's going to be one dimensional and we'll see how that goes. But CJ Harris, I like Ohio in this game a lot. And I understand you, if you got that huge Ohio ticket, you got to hedge it and take Toledo a little bit, but CJ Harris has not thrown a turnover worthy, uh, has not had a turnover worthy play in 33 passing attempts. Uh, he's had 11 rushing attempts. 10 of them have been designed. And that's great. When you have a Rourke, I say a Rourke kid because there's been two of them. When you have Nathan or Curtis Rourke that's so good at running zone read and passing, you need the backup to be able to fill that role in the playbook. And CJ Harris does that. He's had 10 designed runs, three touchdowns so far. Sia Bangara, finally full strength. We had all those max shows through November. Their, you know, their workhorse running back wasn't healthy. He is now. And there's just a big gap here, uh, you know, in Havoc. Yeah, Ohio's 32nd. Toledo, Havoc allowed 102nd. It doesn't matter if it's Gleason or Finn. They don't protect the ball. Ohio has been Havoc-minded. Uh, and listen, Ohio, they've been good with explosive plays, both sides of the ball. They really take the explosive play away. And if Tim Alvin's going to focus on taking the rush away, that's going to be the explosiveness on the, on the pass. It's not going to be there for Toledo. I think the Bobcats win their first conference title since 1968 go bobs i hope that happens for my future and uh for your ohio bet and for anyone else that, that tailed uh and maybe if all if usc loses maybe instead of putting alabama or ohio state in we can put ohio in as the four seed and get a true battle of athens to see who where the true college football athens is is it in georgia or ohio We want Georgia. Did I hear that right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Same time, Saturday, noon Eastern on ABC. The Big 12 Championship. Kansas State taking on TCU. TCU, two and a half point favorite here. Over under 62. TCU remained undefeated. Treated their backers very well this year. Kansas State has as well of late. They've been on quite a run. Should be Will Howard again. Back at quarterback, these two teams played earlier in the year. Kansas State jumped out to a huge lead, blew it. They had a couple quarterback injuries. The biggest one is when, you know, Martinez went out right away. He might be back for some packages this week, but it should be the Will Howard show. When Will Howard got hurt, the third string came in through a pick, which was massive, and then Howard missed a touchdown for the cover late. Uh, Quentin Johnson didn't play last week, should be back for TCU. Uh, Dyke said that he's looks good, so should be good to go. One of the best receivers in the country. I, look, TCU has been a thorn in my side all year. I'll tell you, look, I won't go, so who cares what I think on this game? Uh, I'll tell you that, I mean, Deuce Vaughn should have a big game. I would think TCU's defense still has some questions. 
I have to give credit to the TCU staff. They've been great all year. They've been great in halftime adjustments. Um, I think TCU's safe here. I, I personally think Kansas State's going to win a close one, but I make it a pick. So I need three. So if it goes to three, uh, I'll play Kansas State. And if it doesn't, you know, probably in order to get action, a lot of these games, a fun way to do it is and we'll, we'll do this on our big bets on campus live show on Saturday. I will have a round Robin um, is just throw, you know, small bet or round Robin underdog. Money that probably, I might have Kansas state in there, but uh, got to give respect to TCU for what they've done. I make this like a pick coin flip. And I mean, I think TCU is minus three and a half at home earlier this year. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, since then, I've upgraded TCU a little bit, but I've also upgraded Kansas State. They've been terrific. They've just been pounding teams. So, um... Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I, uh, yeah, I, I think that this game is basically a coin flip. So I need that all important three in order to get involved with Ebal. What do you see here? I agree. I agree. I that I would make it TCU minus three, but it, to me, it's a coin flip also. Um, if you are holding a TCU 18 to one, 14 to one, 61, whatever from the preseason, um, my advice is to wait for a three. If you can get it, I don't know if I would advise, it depends on how much money you're comfortable with, but even buying a three at minus minus one twenty can get a little bit pricey when you're trying to hedge. So I would rather go for a two and a half. And if you can get a lot of money down on an alt line, like a, like a plus two plus one ten. That's not a bad idea either, because what we're trying to do here is ensure that you have money in your pocket to bet on bowl games. And I, I think maybe once in the last three years, I let tickets ride uh, for every all the futures that we've hit and these long shot, you know, conferences that we've had. I think only once if I actually let it ride. And uh, my only advice is, is take your initial buy and I would go up to at least four times what you put it in or I would just chop the ticket in half. Right. So you could take, say, if you have a hundred dollar investment and it pays off $1,800 on TCU, I'd put $900 on Kansas state plus two and a half plus two, just be done with it. You're going to make money. And that's the name of the game here. So uh, being greedy on conference championship week never really usually works out. Anyways, getting past that handicapping the game by itself. You're right. Adrian Martinez may have a package, but it sounds like he's going to be extremely limited and I think you have to go back to, because I mean, things just changed. Something clicked for TCU in this game and things have never been the same since. Kansas State went into halftime 28 to 10 up against TCU. And I know that there's this cloud in the shadow of TCU gets backup quarterbacks and third string quarterbacks, uh, but the Horn Frogs defense has been insane since then. Something going on with Joe Gillespie, who I thought was the best hire in college football at the beginning of the season, yeah. that's actually starting to play out. He has shut down everybody in the last seven games, Kansas state shut out in the second half. TCU has allowed six touchdowns in the second half. Their last seven games, Texas was held without an offensive touchdown in Austin. And the defense has won every game down the stretch. It's not really the offense because 
They've been without Quentin Johnson, or he's been hobbled. They've been without Tay Barber. By the way, Quentin Johnson, yes, Sonny Dyke said he's good to go. No word on Tay Barber. So we'll see, you know, exactly what's going on with all the skill positions. Uh, but, you know, TCU logged three consecutive unders on the season until their offense put up 62 against Iowa State. That would have been another under for what their defense is doing. The Kansas State 335, that's been a change for them too. They were have always been a four-man front under Chris Kleiman. This year, new defensive coordinator, he brings in a 335, and what it's done is fix one of the biggest issues that Kansas State has had on defense for years. Stopping explosive plays. They've been terrible at tackling in the secondary until this year. And that 335 has been a big part of it. So, you know, the Wildcats are also top 25 in defensive finishing drives. So if you're betting on this game as a standalone, no futures involved, under is the play all the way. TCU's defense is playing peak right now. They're shutting down everybody they face. Kansas State eliminates explosives. Both of these teams are based in the ground attack. TCU is going to try, try to do, drop dimes on the secondary, but that just hasn't been happening against Kansas State. This is an under game all the way. As far as, you know, you know, picking a side in this, I agree with you. It's a complete coin flip. Um, I would I would lean, if I had to pick one or the other with no futures involved, I think Kansas State wins this game. Yeah, I would tend to agree. And But for what it's worth, uh, TCU, this, this could be a big – uh point in this game for we were talking some injuries their leading tackler tc's leading tackler uh johnny hodges he pulled a hamstring dyke said the staff initially thought it was worse than it was he expects hodges to do some practice tomorrow and the team will evaluate from there so that could be big against deuce vaughn but if you look at why both of these teams are here i would think that you know one of the biggest reasons is the coordinator hires and uh TCU specifically, one of the biggest reasons they're undefeated is because of Garrett Riley uh, and Gillespie, who have just been tremendous across the board. Gillespie got, uh, out, right, just, Gillespie got out just yeah. in time before Tulsa cleaned house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. I mean, unbelievable timing. Don't let the ladies come between you and the belt. All right. Let's move on to mid-afternoon on Saturday, and let's talk some fun belt. We have the Sun Belt Conference Championship. Coastal Carolina will travel to Troy. Troy sitting around an eight and a half, eight point favorite. We check the this line has been moving all around, yeah. which I'll get to in a second. What's the over under at now? 48 and a half. 48 and a half. This game's Saturday, 3 30 Eastern on ESPN. By the way, if I didn't mention the Big 12 championships in Arlington, this game will be at Troy. True road game for Coastal. Uh, I played Coastal here. I got word that McCall is going to play, and I played them because I think he's worth. I have him close to eleven points against the spread. I mean, I don't. I don't think people understand how good he's been, especially with the talent that they've lost. Him, he's arguably been one of the three best quarterbacks in the country. I mean, he has twenty-one touchdowns, one interception, ten yard average depth of target with a seventy-eight percent adjusted completion percentage. His backup in two starts, Jarrett Guest, 19 of 43, one touchdown and four picks. McCall in 10 starts has 21 and one pick. This guy, Guest, has one touchdown and four picks in two starts. I think he's worth, I think him and Chris Reynolds uh, are worth the most of the spread. And then maybe Jay Kaner because he has like a two star Fife uh, as his backup. Um, so yeah, I think he's that important to this game. I don't think that he would play if he's not healthy. That's the biggest thing. Like how healthy is he going to be? Um, 
but I, yeah, I don't think that he would play if he wasn't healthy. The staff said it all year. There's no, like he has a potential NFL future. He may transfer. There's also rumblings about where Jamie Chadwell will go. But I think the fact that he's going to play in this, that, you know, McCall's going to play, it signifies that the, the locker room cares. And, you know, the coastal defense isn't that great, but their strength is their pass rush, which Troy really struggles with. They're 122nd in passing down sack rate. So I think that they can get some negative plays here. And this Troy offense is not that explosive, really short passing attack. I, I don't, I'm not necessarily convinced that they can really exploit the coastal defense. And one of the th- key things I don't hear a lot of people talk about is the Sun Belt home field advantage. People talk about a Mac home field advantage isn't worth anything. Go back 15 years, the lowest home field advantage in all of college football is the Sun Belt. And it's still overvalued by the market. I mean, Sun Belt team since 2005, 292, 384, and 8 at home in conference games. 43%. They're failing to cover by an average of about 1.7 points per game. So I have it as the lowest. I have it any lower than the MAC, which is almost nothing because you're not traveling. There's not great crowds. This year, home teams in Sunbelt Conference play 22 and 34 against the spread, failing to cover by 2.6 points per game on average. Uh, so yeah, I like Coastal. Give me McCall. Um, really, Coastal wants this game. Him playing, I'm assuming that he's going to be. You know, he's not going to be a hundred percent, but he's not at risk of getting hurt more and he's good enough to go and it is just an enormous upgrade so even if we call it uh you know let's say six or seven points instead of 10 or 11 because you might not be 100 percent. i like i like coastal here i think you might you might disagree and you like troy i i like troy on the open at four and a half there were some books on sunday that put out four and a half i said well that's wrong uh especially if grace mccall is out the number gets yeah. over 10, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's confirmed that Grayson McCall is out. And we were recording this on a Wednesday. An hour ago, Jamie Chadwell had his had a press conference and said, Grayson McCall is hopeful, but if he played today, if today was the day of the game, the answer would be no. I'm completely twisted here because I've got I've got action down on Troy at a really great number. Should I come back and buy on it? But I, I would need confirmation about Grayson McCall playing. He is worth 10 points. There's not many quarterbacks in college football that are worth 10 points of the spread, especially what he does from, you know, triple option in space, third down perspective. He runs that offense like an NFL quarterback, and he's going to be a good one at the next level. Yeah, he's a third down maestro. That is a, that's one of the, Troy's a really good defense, but they've struggled a bit on third downs. I've gotten a few tips that say he's hundred percent playing. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah. I mean, as great as Troy is on defense, they're 91st and third down defense. They are excellent. I think they are best in the nation in standard downs explosiveness on defense. Nobody's allowed to get a chunk yard in standard downs when when teams are when opposing offenses are on schedule. Troy has been elite from a coverage perspective. They're top 10. Troy has been elite from keeping teams getting into the end zone. They're ninth nationally in defensive finishing drives. Uh, and there's a huge gap in special teams here. Troy's 15th and, and Coastal Carolina is 123rd per SP+. So a lot of things floating toward Troy's way higher strength of record but you're gonna get Grayson McCall it's the best player in the game it's not even close so if you're holding on to early Troy numbers that are good in the market right now we get confirmation that Grayson McCall is going to play this game you've got to get out because it's literally a 10 point swing on a number that I made seven and a half without Grayson McCall this obviously would make to me Coastal Carolina about a two-point favorite 
Yeah, I mean it. It is just massive, and maybe, but maybe you can't say he's ten points this game. But it'll maybe you only say he's like six or seven if he's not fully healthy. But that still brings it down to like a field goal, you know. Um, over over Jared Guest as quarterback. I, yeah, might, that's that's the biggest be- thing. You can't look at just the quarterback; it's the the drop off to the replacement level. So yeah, a lot to watch and monitor. Not only leading up to the game, but uh, when the game begins. All right, let's move on to, we'll stay Saturday afternoon, about a half hour later after the Fun Belt tips off. We'll have the Mountain West Conference Championship kickoff in Boise, 4 Eastern on Fox. Boise holding steady at three. It's They've taken some juice at times uh, over under 54. This is a really intriguing game. I, I might have to wait on some more injury news, but these two teams played earlier in the year, and I don't know much what you could take from it because Jake Hayner didn't play, and his backup played Fife, who's it might be a ten point downgrade to him. Also, they had a couple other key defenders that didn't play, a couple of their corners, their defensive lineman Leonard Payne, and uh, their safety Evan Williams is one of their best players. But one of their other best players might be the defensive player of the year, David Perales, the defensive end. He got hurt late; he might not play. But Boise also has some injury questions. Boise is an interesting team in that they lost to UTEP, fired the offensive coordinator, bring in Dirk Cutter, make the transition to Taylor Green, a quarterback, more of a runner. And they've been, they haven't lost since, but they played San Diego State when it was Burmeister. You know, then they played Air Force. They played Colorado State before Colorado State had, you know, sort of figured some things out. Uh, they played, they lost to BYU. They played Nevada. Nevada, Nevada, Wyoming, and why look, they beat and then Utah State, a bunch of backup quarterbacks, too. And they, they played Wyoming, one of the weirdest box scores of the year. They played Wyoming's quarterback Clemens, who went three of 16 for 30 yards and three picks. And Boise won 20 to 17, one of the weirdest games of the year. So I don't know like how much how much better is Boise given the level of competition. But Taylor Green's obviously an upgrade. The offensive line's playing really well. The running game has been working under Cutter. And you can run on Fresno. You know, especially if they don't have Perales. Their, their defensive line, their linebackers are bad, bad, really bad. Then on the other side, though, Boise's had a bunch of key defenders from that first meeting who may or may not be out. They've, they've had a bunch of defenders that haven't been playing. Their star middle linebacker, Ezekiel Noah, he was actually back in practice this week. That's a good sign. Their slot safety, though, Tyreek Jones, he was limited in practice this week. He limped off last week. Their defensive tackle, Jackson Craven, stud, he's out for the year. They're right outside linebacker, George Tarlis. He's a stud. He's out for the year. He still leads the team in pressure. He's only played seven games. They're left outside linebacker, Demetri Washington. Stud can get to into the backfield. He's hurt. I think he's going to be limited. So can they get the pressure on Hayner? Because the Fresno State offensive line is not great. They lost their starting right tackle bowl for the year. That's what happened the first time. They got a lot of pressure up the middle, off the edges, but it's not a full-strength Boise defense. So, and what Fresno's defense has been doing lately, they've just been blitzing nonstop to make up for some of the issues they had over the past three games. Green, who's, you know, look, he, I think he has some aggression coming with some turnover where he throws, but he's been good against the blitz. He can escape the blitz with his legs. So, yeah, this is such an interesting game with so many moving parts. And Boise's also vulnerable to big explosive plays, which if Hayner gets time, you know, with his receivers, Cropper and company, he can hit. So, uh, yeah, I might have to wait on some more injury news. I keep going back and forth on this game. Uh, do you have a clear 
clear viewpoint or stance here? This is Boise all the way for me. It's Boise minus three or nothing. Uh, of course, waiting on some injury news, but uh, you know, for the fact of what Boise has been able to do to return their offensive round under cutter uh, and with Taylor green, both kind of coming in mid season and changing the direction of this offense, which was lifeless uh, is a big difference. And then Fresno just doesn't have what it takes in the defensive trench to stop the rush. And you can make the same case on the other side of the ball. The Boise may, you know, has problems against the rush also, but there's big differences between the Boise defense and the Fresno defense. I mean, Boise is eighth in the nation and third down defense. Uh, that pay, I mean, that just trumps Fresno being 60th. Uh, Fresno, I'm sorry, Boise is also the number one defense in the nation in passing down success rate. So if Jake Hayner gets behind the chains, he's going to have issues against the top defense in the nation and from a success rate perspective. And, you know, when you look at this third down defense, it's going to be hard for Fresno to convert first downs. So they need to rely on explosive plays. I know that part of Fresno's schedule has snaps that don't have Jake Hayner. But still, their rush EPA in offense is 123rd. Their pass EPA is 126. There's no bite to this offense whatsoever. Methodical, success rate, move it down the field, sure. But as I just said, I mean, Boise is one of the best in the nation on third downs. And when you combine that with what they've been able to do on offense, which I don't think is properly adjusted into the number and into their stats, it's Boise minus three or nothing for me. It does seem from other people that I talked to, the Boise seems to be the sharp side here. They were, what, minus 11 in the first meeting, minus three here. All right, before we continue, as a reminder, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. So kick off the new pro football season with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION200, and your first wager is risk-free, up to $1,000. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 years or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. Call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 800-889-9789 or 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states were prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Let's move on to, say, the same time slot. Let's talk a little AAC Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern on ABC. UCF at Tulane this is a rematch from earlier this season. This game will be at, at Tulane, who's been a covering machine this year, and they've been the most profitable team against the spread at home since 2017. I think the key to this game is we talked a lot about quarterback uncertainty. It's uh, is John Reese Plumley healthy? It's and, the only handicap in my opinion. Yeah. And if he is, then he torched Tulane 
in the first meeting. Now, look, deep, and he ran for like 178 yards, and that's Tulane's weakness. And, you know, if Keen plays, he's more of a passer, and you can't throw on this Tulane team. Now, now you could argue that Tulane, you know, they saw him already, and then they saw Prater, who's a runner. So, you know, they have now they have a couple games of seeing running quarterbacks. So they use they utilize a spy more. Do they do something different? But it's clearly their weakness and their scheme uh, isn't well suited to how they normally play to stop uh, a running quarterback like Plumley. It's interesting that this game, Tulane was minus one at home, you know, just a few weeks ago, but now they're, you know, minus three and a half, minus four. And, you know, the reason that they lost that game was Plumley ran wild. Now, last week against USF, Plumley ran wild in the first half. They, they think they're up 28 nothing, and then he hurt his hamstring. He never came back in the game, which is interesting because they needed to win that game. So does that signify that he's not fully healthy? I mean, they were that game was in, in doubt until the very end. And if he's not healthy, I think that really favors Tulane. Tulane also might be able to make some adjustments here, but uh, – yeah, it's going to be tough for him to be, to be at 100%, which is why I think Tulane has taken money here. And if he doesn't play and it's all keen, then I think this is Tulane. And, uh, yeah, I think that's – I think you're you're going to agree here. It's just all about if Plumlee yeah. plays or not, just from a scheme and matchup perspective. Yeah, it is. I mean, sitting on a stack of Tulane tickets, this is a tough handicap because it all comes down to John Reese Plumlee dealing with a hamstring. You see him run in for a touchdown, and then Malzahn pulls him out. He's on some sort of snap count, pitch count. Um, I was on trying to limit a hamstring, which I mean, I dealt with a couple hamstring injuries in my life. It's like, it's one of those things where if your stride gets a certain length, like you're going to rip it again. Uh, so I don't know how you keep John Reese Plumlee from not aggravating that you hamstrings are things like it takes three to four weeks of doing nothing to get away from that injury. And then even then we yeah. start running again, it could just pop. So I don't understand how John Reese Plumlee is going to be full strength for this game. And, you know, he is the biggest factor in this. He averaged 10 yards a carry against the Tulane defense. And that was the handicap. You and I disagreed when they played before. I said, listen, you know, Tulane can't defend the rush. And if John Reese Plumley is going to run, that's it, it's lights out. And it was, I'm sorry, you know, I mean, we could go deep into all these other things. But if Mikey Keene is the starter, that plays right in the hands of a Tulane defense that's great in coverage and great in the secondary. So, you know, Tulane's going to have all their explosive players. Ty J Spears was fantastic, but he got limited in his carries once Tulane got down by multiple possessions. So Tulane is going to rock and roll. If they're, if they are able to stay within one possession or stay close to UCF in the scoring, Ty J Spears is going to keep getting carries and he can bust more 70 yarders down the field. So um, boy, it's, it's all about that. Now, if you're looking to place a bet this early, you're going to bet, Tulane team total over because Michael Pratt, Ty J Spears, they're going to score in this game. Uh, they do have the weapons from a ground perspective to challenge UCF defense. Once again, uh, a 30 and a half is the highest you want to go though. All right. Yeah. So it's all about a plumbly, just the matchup perspective. You Keen has to drop back and throw it. You're not going to do that against this Tulane. Excellent secondary. Here. It just means more. All right, let's stay at 4 Eastern on Saturday afternoon at a loaded time slot. Let's go to the SEC Championship. LSU taking on Georgia. Georgia, a 17.5, 18-point favorite, over under 51. This game is Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern on CBS, Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta. For what it's worth, Georgia wins this game. They're going to obviously be the one seed. They will play again 
in the same stadium on a quote-unquote neutral site for the third time this year. They played Oregon. Now they're playing the SEC. To start the year, they're playing the SEC championship, and then they would play their first playoff game there as well. You would think that they're going to have uh, the home field advantage here. They're already in the playoff no matter what happens here. Part of this handicap was like motivation, but I actually do think that they will care. They're not going to be bored. A lot of it, like Georgia this year, is boredom. Like Kentucky, Georgia Tech, Missouri, they just didn't look as engaged. I think they know how good they are. They're, they've clearly proved that they're the best team in the country. But this is kind of the one thing that Smart hasn't gotten here. And like when I was reading about their veteran safety, Chris Smith, who was talking about, you know, how bad that Georgia wants us. He's been a part of four SEC East winning teams, four. And he hasn't won an SEC championship yet. They lost in 2018, 2019, and 2021. And this is his fourth SEC East title. Um, so, and then look, if they win this game, then they get the one, they lock up the one seed, they get to play here again next week. And you presumably get the easiest opponent, but I think they actually do care. And they lost the SEC championship last year. So I think that you'll get a spirited effort from Georgia. LSU, meanwhile, comes in limping literally and figuratively after losing by two touchdowns of tech, uh, Texas A&M Corps. Jaden Daniels' status is in doubt. And if he can't move, it's bad news. And then you're going to have Garrett Nussmeyer. And I don't think this is the game where you want the gunslinger coming in for like the first real time in a while trying to chuck it against this Georgia secondary. And if Daniels can't move, like he's just – his average depth of target is small. It's like it just he's just going to fire short passes to beat this Georgia D. Can't run on them. Um, and I do think that Georgia will have success running on this LSU defense. I think it's Georgia or nothing. And I think that LSU is going to get blown out here if Daniels is not healthy and can't move. I mean, you could have Nussmeyer in who just hits some crazy throws. His, but he also could just get you buried quick. I think it's Georgia or nothing here. What do you say? I absolutely think you're going to get a spirited squad out of Georgia. I don't think there's going to be any boredom here. And it's not because they're playing in the ACC title game. It's because Kirby Smart played Brian Kelly in Notre Dame back in 2019, and they struggled that entire game and pulled off a six-point victory. Brian Kelly had every answer in the world for that Georgia team back in 2019. There's no way that Kirby Smart is not rolling that film and telling the players, like, listen, this, you know, if we don't come out there with the right attitude, we're going to get buried. And he could convince his team that that's going to happen, despite a point spread being 18 and a half. uh, It absolutely could happen. I think the two big things for me – I love the over in this game for two reasons. One, Jaden Daniels is he's he's a pocket passer. I mean, if he does he's in a walking boot, he doesn't look like he's gonna be able to execute the zone read. Georgia might blow that up anyways from an edge perspective. Uh, and considering the kind of beef that they have on, on a defensive interior, Jaden Daniels might turn into a pocket passer in this game from his health and from the Georgia defense. Whether he's successful or not, that equals more possessions. That equals quicker getting down the field, could equal pick sixes, could equal turnovers. I mean, there's all kinds of things what happens when LSU becomes one-dimensional and Jaden Daniels isn't able to run. So for that instance, I think there's going to be more possessions. Now, for the Georgia side of the ball, Kirby was not really vocal about what they're going to do against LSU, but he did talk about what they're going to do to Harold Perkins. And when asked about, hey, Harold Perkins is a freak, what are you going to do about this guy? He said, it's our job to make sure and put him in mismatches the entire game. Well, Harold Perkins is 6'3", 200 pounds, quicker than snot, right? What are the two mismatches on that field that he can't keep up with? Because if you go to PFF and you look at Harold Perkins grading, 
He's been terrible in coverage. It's been getting worse every week. He was targeted five times by Texas A&M. He's been targeted three to five times by almost every team over the last five weeks. All of them have been catches and all of them have been big gains. So wherever Harold Perkins is lining up, it doesn't matter if it's zone or if it's man. And considering the position that he plays, I guarantee they're going to try to find one-on-one matchups with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington and expose Harold Perkins from a passing perspective. Because I've said this for weeks, Harold Perkins is the, I mean, he looks like a Roquan Smith out there. Just, I mean, we could go from sideline to sideline in two seconds, right? If you want to get into a lateral game with LSU, you're going to lose. You want to go downfield, you're going to beat him. And if you're going to go downfield, you're going to clip this 51 total easily. So for reasons on both sides of the ball, I like the over. Do I think Georgia's going to win? Absolutely. I mean, I'm Brian Kelly's going to have a great game plan, maybe a grind through the scripted portion of the game up through the second quarter. But yeah, Georgia is here to absolutely roll. Yeah, and for what it's worth, overs have been a pretty good bet in the SEC. Uh, we talked about that, I think, earlier this week on uh, the new BCS. You get, you get these SEC athletes on the fast track here in Atlanta, and you're going to get some explosive plays. Yeah, but I do agree with you that the the pace will pick up with LSU, which Daniels and his legs are such an important part of the offense if he's having to throw it more and then look, if he's limited and ineffective, then they're going to bring in Nussmeyer and they're just going to be throwing it at such a higher rate that will slow the game down. Clock's going to be stopping way more frequently and then at lead to added possession. So I agree with you there. Yeah. I think it's Georgia and nothing. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. All right, let's move on to primetime. We have two final conference championship games to get to. Let's, and I think we've been agreeing a lot on this podcast. I think we might disagree this one. Purdue-Michigan Big Ten Championship, Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox in Indianapolis. I like Purdue here. I think that you like Michigan. I don't know if you still do. A- Aiden O'Connell, the Purdue's quarterback, dealing with the tragic loss of his brother, Josef, who passed away last week. He was really emotional after the win. Mm-hmm. This past week, I think he was – dealing with the funeral and some other family stuff earlier this week, but he's going to play and prepare here. That's the quarterback news in this game. But I actually think that Purdue has some value, and uh, I'll tell you why. I think that, number one, they've just constantly, this is when they show up. They've shown up in these big games. O'Connell, that's, you know, the spoiler maker's nickname constantly over the years. And I think that their offense is actually a little undervalued because for a few reasons. They played a lot of games lately in conditions. That won't be the case here. And then also O'Connell was dealing with an injury earlier this year that, you know, over a stretch of three to four games, we talked about that Syracuse game. He played through the injury a couple of games after that when he was his least effective. They also have this kid Maccabee at running back who's been their most effective running back. They still can't really run the ball a lot, but he's by far, I think he was a walk-on too. Their best running back to give him a little bit more balance, but you know, you're not really going to be able to run a lot on Michigan, but you can attack them with short passes. That's what Purdue wants to do here. And then part of this, and look, Purdue's run defense has been, Awesome all year. The defensive line has been great. And you can attack them with explosive passes through the air. I'll make McCarthy prove that once again, that he can do it this week. What have we seen from Michigan a lot of the other weeks? They want to lean on their run game. And they're going to be in look that they they played Maryland really close game. They played Illinois really close game. I don't I think that this is actually, and this is just kind of me guessing on motivation. Like I think Jordan's going to care. I don't know how much Michigan's going to care. Michigan's already in the college football playoff. They already won the Big Ten last year. And when I, when I say care, look, when the game starts, 
don't care. Maybe they're a little flat, but I don't, I don't necessarily think they want to show a lot and they don't need to blow this open. Right. They don't want to show a lot of their, they last week they had trick plays. They were showing their downfield passing attack. This is like, let's run it. We're going to, we, we might have, you know, we're going to play some really good teams coming up. So I don't think that they're worried about showing a lot. We're going to run it at a high rate as they've done in the past and produce run defenses up for the task. And then for what it's worth, unranked underdogs have been really successful against the spread against ranked teams in conference title games are 14 and six against the spread 70% covering by an average of 12 points per game since 2005. That applies in North Texas and Purdue for what it's worth. Um, so yeah, I think Purdue catching 17, also big, big uh, backdoor ability here with O'Connell at quarterback. Uh, so yeah, I, I actually like Purdue catching the points, but you uh, you disagree here. Yeah, I did take Michigan minus 16 on open. It's a number that I expected to close 17 or higher. Uh, and then I would assess later in the week. I'm not backing off the Michigan bet. Uh, this team has been unbelievable in the second half of games. Similar to what I said about TCU and the defense in their second half adjustments, Sharon Moore, uh, you know, Jesse Minter, these two are going to fight each other for the Broyles Award. I mean, they've just been absolutely unbelievable in the halftime. How good have they been after halftime? Michigan over the last six games is outscoring opponents by a net of 116 points. I know there are some duds on this Big Ten schedule, but just look at what happened against Ohio State. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that uh, we don't want to show the playbook. I would argue that Michigan's only shown about 40% of the playbook this entire season until they played Ohio State. So it just as a matter is there's still tricks in the bag we're going to pull out or we're going to save that for the national championship game against Georgia. Um, you know, I think it's important to know that the game plan, Jeff Brom is a great head coach. And the game plan that they're going to come out with is going to be is probably going to give Michigan some problems through the first three to six series. And I wouldn't blame anybody. And I might do it myself. I might bet Purdue money line in the first half. Now, my problem is, is I don't think Michigan is going to come out uninterested or not even wanting to cover the spread. I think it's the opposite of that, because they were in this exact same spot last year. They beat Ohio State for the first time in forever. And they whipped Iowa 42 to three. Now, I know this is a better offense. But at the same time, I've seen enough out of Mike Sanders still. I've seen enough out of DJ Turner. I've seen enough out of this secondary to know that they're going to be able to stop a very one-dimensional Purdue offense that is very pass-happy. You know, Purdue's been a top 35 team against rush explosives, but the defense has struggled to stop the deep pass. So that makes me think that we're going to get more play action from J.J. McCarthy. And I really – I'm going to be looking for a J.J. McCarthy prop too because Purdue – has been good about stopping the run. And if Michigan decides that they're not going to run the ball to save the health of Blake Corum, this could turn into some scrambles for J.J. McCarthy. So I do like J.J. McCarthy's prop on number of yards from a rushing perspective to go over. Uh, I like the first half under 27. I think the game is going to be scripted through the first six, I'm sorry, first three drives, maybe through the first quarter and a half. Purdue's going to have a shot when you're going off script. But once Sheryl Moore and Jesse Minter make those changes in the locker room, they have dominated everybody on both sides of the ball. Hasn't even been close. And that includes the precious Ohio State team that is trying to get into the playoffs. So I like Purdue's chances up until that halftime buzzer hits. Yeah, I mean, but I think that the situation is different for Michigan this year. I mean, last year, and look, they, they were running it up late because for the teacher in the school shooting. So there was a, a motive to keep running up the score. But they also weren't in the college football playoff last year. They had a loss. They needed to win that game. They also hadn't won the Big Ten in a while. 
Like they, they've already done this. They're already in the college football playoff. McCarthy, I don't know if they're just, they're going to throw a lot here. I don't think they want to show a lot, but he was, he had some explosive against Ohio state, but people forget he was horrendous for a month before that uh, throwing the ball. So we'll see if he can be efficient in that aspect. Cause that is how you attack Purdue. But uh, I'll take the points here and trust in O'Connell. I actually think it might be a competitive game, but yeah, the, the, the halftime adjustments will be a critical piece to the outcome of not only this game, but who covers the spread. All right, let's stay in prime time for the final conference championship game. Let's go mm-hmm. to Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern on ABC in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ugh, I don't, we have to talk about this game. But the ACC, <laughs> Clemson, North Carolina. Why can't these two teams be playing two other teams? I'm going to fade them both. Well, good for Mac. Great job, North Carolina. But it's not about that. You know, Clemson just lost to South Carolina. They just got torched by Spencer Rattler. And UNC just lost back-to-back games at home to fourth-string quarterbacks. The biggest thing here is, I mean, I would think from a spot perspective, it's I guess it's better for UNC. Like, this is Clemson, I think that's a key question, is, does Clemson care? You know, they, this is a team that has college football playoff aspirations. So, I, I don't know, you, I'll let you speak to that. But UNC, it's like, all right, we're the AC championship playing Clemson. So, I think just from a surface perspective, you look at it from a basic view, maybe that favors UNC. But the problem is, and this is a high-variance game, too. UNC goes for it a ton on fourth down. They're very good in that department, but Clemson's also very good on fourth down defense. So could be some wild swings in this game. Also, will we see Cade Klubnik? DJU was obviously awful last week. I think uh, Dabo came out and said he's going to start, but he left the door open. So we might see Klubnik, depending on the effectiveness of DJU, or just we might see a couple drives with him, which we've seen in the past. Um, and... Uh, but the, the problem with UNC is that Drake May is incredible, and he's going to be so good. And I, I think he's going to be the best future NFL quarterback. He can hit tight throws. He's great under pressure. But what he what happened the last two games is he's getting the Mahomes treatment, you know. And if you even under pressure, if you have if there's a seam, tight window, he'll hit the guy. But now with the last two teams have done Georgia Tech and then NC State, is they just dropped everyone in coverage, and they said, "Prove to us you can be patient, and prove to us that you can just." throw it down the field. And then, by the way, the fronts are still able to get pressure because UNC's offensive line is bad. And then May has been forcing throws. And this happens to Patrick Mahomes. He had to adjust to this. Uh, so the teams have given him the Mahomes treatment. I would expect that Clemson's going to do something similar. Can UNC figure it out in one week? Um, and then they're obviously going up against a much tougher defense in Clemson than you know Georgia Tech, who's able to shut out UNC over the final 30 minutes of the game. So there's been a big schematic shift on what defenses are doing to May. And, you know, he's gotten frustrated. He's young. And we've seen NFL quarterbacks struggle with this when defenses do it. When you just have a quarterback who's just has a rocket arm and can hit these explosive plays down the field. Hey, we're going to take him away. You be patient underneath. So we'll see what UNC can do here. Uh, So what are your thoughts on the motivation and then this matchup? Well, (laughs) You're right. I mean, the Clemson motivation is a hard one. I mean, we can definitely say in the bowl game, they're not going to show up. And there is a laundry list of players that I think are ready to A, opt out, or B, get into the portal. And, you know, friend of the podcast, Bud Elliott, put out this tweet, uh, I think, yesterday. Because these portals are, like, going crazy these days. It's like half of Arkansas's rosters hopped in the portal. And it was, I think his tweet was, what is the one transfer portal entry that would, like, shake college football up? Tell me how Cade Klubnick or DJ Uyunglele is not in the portal like 
and uh, in a week from now, right? I mean, these two are not going to be both on the Clemson roster next year. And Cade Klubnick, so Brandon Streeter, by the way, that's just a whole other part of the handicap. He has not been good as offensive coordinator. He has not been able to live up to Jeff Scott, Tony Elliott, Chad Morris. He has not been able to live up to the coordinators that Clemson has had in the past. He has become predictable. They have tried to run trick plays when they don't need it. They just don't line up and try to knock you in the dirt. The good news for Clemson's offense is, is they get maybe the worst defense in all of college football. You can't be as worth as North Carolina, 124th in defensive finishing drives, almost dead last in havoc. They're not going to be able to take the ball away from Clemson. Now, to get back to what I was saying, if Clemson, I, I'm not, I think they're they could be motivated for the ACC championship. Uh, it's going to be a, a real sell job for Dabo here, but at least you're going to have two quarterbacks that want to compete. Cade Klubnick might already have it in his mind. This is my job, and I'm going to take it away from DJ right here. Or he might have it in his mind. I'm hitting the portal, and I want a good film to, for everybody to see. DJ's thinking the same thing. I would not be surprised as a Southern California kid with the way that DJ takes commentary about his game, the way he takes things personal. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up out at, say, an Oregon, a team that recruited him, but he already might have had his mind made up for Clemson. He ends up out on the West Coast where the lights won't be as bright and he doesn't have to hear much more of that commentary. So I think you're going to have both quarterbacks fired up. And the fact that North Carolina's defense can't expose the the fact that you can telegraph Brandon Streeter's play calling, I think is all benefit. Now the big, the best unit in this game is the Clemson defense. And this is probably the last time you're going to see miles Murphy, Brian Barisi, uh, some guys in the, in the, in the secondary, I think it's the last time you're going to see them play. And yes, North Carolina's offense has been fantastic behind Drake May, one of the best in the nation in, in offensive finishing drives. But at the same time, this Clemson defense is 12th and third down defense. This Clemson defense is a top 10 pass rush. They're fourth in defensive havoc. That's been a huge problem for North Carolina. They cannot protect the ball. They allow everybody to play behind the line of scrimmage. And there's lots of fumbles and lots of interceptions, and that's going to be the difference in this game. So I like my Clemson minus seven and a half bet. Hopefully defense-oriented. Hopefully Brandon Streeter, the offensive coordinator of Clemson, quits running this telegraph crap trick plays. And hopefully we have two quarterbacks that are fighting to be in this position next year and the other one's fighting to have some good tape on the portal. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. They could be treating this as an audition. But what, what are your thoughts on – because the Clemson secondary is can be attacked. We saw Spencer Rattler go bananas against them. Yeah. UNC obviously has a great passing attack, but they've just been stymied now by this scheme that back-to-back teams have – implemented so i'm assuming the clubs to do the same so how do you see this maybe from a total perspective or unc's offense doing against clemson do you see more of what's happened the past two weeks or do you see drake may maybe breaking out a little more here which would lend itself to the over if not if clemson's going to run this way run the same d and unc's offense struggles even if how bad unc's defense is you know that might lend itself to an under what are your thoughts there yeah, I mean, the total spot on. I made it 62, so I'm not sure. And that's a key number. 65 is also key, so I'm not sure if I want to go over the 63 and a half because, yes, Drake May is going to be explosive here and he's going to get down the field, but Clemson's also 14th in tackling, so they don't allow a lot of explosives. They don't allow it on the ground. They're about mid-FBS against pass explosiveness, but the fact that they're able to tackle uh, at, you know, at a top 20 grading, they don't miss a lot of tackles. I think that's going to limit the amount of explosives that North Carolina has. But North Carolina is going to get their share of points. Absolutely. But, you know, if they get stopped short of the goal or in the red zone or within the 40, 
that's where Clemson's able to cook because Drake May is going to run out of room for deep passes and for crossing routes and for everything. The closer you get to the goal line, the less space you have to work. All right, good stuff. That's 10, all 10 conference championships broken down for you and wagering purposes this weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. And it's only going to continue through bowl season. I mentioned before, we'll have four bowl preview episodes starting mid-December all the way through the new year. Then we'll have a national title preview. I'm going to remind everyone to check out the group of five guys on their episode, which should be out right now for this weekend. Get their takes. They've done a tremendous job all season. And uh, one final reminder on the hotline, final weekend for Caller of the Year, Katie Smith Award, 959 Bad Beat. And then, of course, myself, Brett McMurphy, and Colin will be back Saturday morning, 1030 a.m. Eastern, Big Bets on Campus Live. And uh, we'll try, we'll probably find a way to get Brett involved in a, a bowl preview episode or two for a segment. But before we get out of here, we do have one final order of business. And uh, that is, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down, our favorite bet. Uh, I'm going to start off with uh, North Texas. Give you a little Friday night flavor, catching anything seven and a half or above, eight and a half. You want to wait to see if it gets to 10. Great. Uh, I already took it at eight and a half. I don't think it's going to go to seven and probably get sharp money if it gets taken at 10. But yeah, I think that UTSA's defense is vulnerable and they're much more vulnerable than the numbers suggest because of all the backup quarterbacks that they faced, including four straight. They also might be missing some key guys. And uh, I think North Texas can score here. They should have won at UTSA earlier this year. They lost in the final seconds. I also like this over for what it's worth. I think both teams will be back and forth. North Texas also fully capable of getting into the back door if needed. But I think their offense will have a ton of success here, which should turn into a shootout. I think there's some value on this number. So let's go with the mean green. Colin, where are you going for your favorite bet? I like that. I'm going to go with the TCU under. Under on TCU? Can you believe it? Yeah, with Kansas State. And I think it comes down to the defensive coordinators. Both have been hired, new hires for this year. Kansas State moved from a four-man front down to a three-man front. That 3-3-5 has been great at limiting explosive plays. You're going to have to have that against Max Duggan and Quentin Johnson and Kendra Miller. And the fact that Kansas State can eliminate explosives means that TCU has to be methodical down the field, which they can do that also. But it is going to extend clock with a lot of rushing plays uh, and, you know, no explosive fast scores by TCU. And then when you go to the other side of the ball, TCU has been unbelievable in second halves, especially after the adjustments that have been put in by defensive coordinator Joe Gillespie. They also run, uh, you know, a heavy personnel that drops and doesn't allow explosive plays in the backfield. Uh, they have shut out opposing offenses the last seven games. They've only allowed six touchdowns, no offensive touchdown to Texas down in Austin. Uh, the, the TCU has been an under machine for three games straight until they scored 62 on a lifeless Iowa State defense. So uh, we're going to go under in this game, TCU, Kansas State. Let's move on to second down our favorite overdog. I'm passing here i don't i the only favorite <laughs> that i like is the one that you like so i'll let you take it maybe boise depending on injuries maybe Tulane, depending on injuries but that's the surpass the three so i don't really love any other favorites besides uh if i was gonna bet one it's gonna be the one that you're gonna talk about next what's your favorite overdog aka favorite favorite I'll make it small, two two quick picks, and then I'll let you finish up, Georgia. I am going to take Boise minus three as my favorite overdog. There's just not been enough adjustment in the line for what this offense has been able to do against Taylor Green. And 
Listen, the rush is open against Fresno State. And when you look at these two defenses, one of these defenses is much better at third downs. One of these defenses is much better at controlling the trench. And these are two rush-heavy offenses. And when you look at that, Boise State has all the advantages. And like I said, they're just not properly updated because they were absolute dumpster fire for the first month of the season. Uh, they, it's just been a renaissance on offense with Taylor Green and Dirk Cotter. So uh, we'll take Boise State. And then the other one is Georgia. Georgia, you know, minus whatever. When you hear Kirby Smart come out and say we are going to put we're going to put mismatches on Harold Perkins, that rings my ears and says Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington are going to be put in passing against that linebacker. Uh, they, I think Georgia is going to make life tough trying to get over that LSU, that stingy LSU defensive line, take advantage of that secondary like other teams have. So I like Georgia on the overdome. Yeah, I would I would agree. I mean, just uh, with Georgia, Jalen Daniels, I don't think he's going to be 100%. I think that just kills this LSU offense, which is in for a rude wake-up call against a Georgia team that I think will be motivated here based on their past SEC championship failures. All right, let's move on to third down, and that's our money line Underdog Parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. I'll I'll kick things off here. Quick plug to the Action Network podcast for NFL. Raybon and I will be recording later today. It'll be out. Uh, make sure you check that out. I, I've had a lot of success this year on our Moneyline underdogs. And a lot of it is just taking advantage of uncertainty in the market. So I think there's a lot of value right now and upside with Coastal Carolina if McCall does play and if he is healthy then you can make a case this is a coin flip or they should even be a little favored here. So, yeah, at the price right now with some of the things that I'm hearing about McCall being a go, which I think also signifies that they care and there's not they're not distracted and McCall cares. So, yeah, let's let's go chance. Give me the Coastal Carolina. Where are you going? Yeah, Grayson McCall is playing. That's huge. Uh, Ohio is going to be my pick for the Moneyline underdog. Don't, not sure if they're going to be an underdog by the time we kick, uh, depending on some injury situations. But injury is the name of the game for Toledo with Daquan Finn immobile uh, lower body injury, not able to move around, which is a big part of his game. And then backup Tucker Gleason is just not as good as far as when it comes to playing zone read or going into scramble or design runs. And that's going to open it up for Ohio, who does have a healthy running back in Sia Bangara. And their backup quarterback has been just as good as Curtis Rourke so far. Uh, so we'll see if that keeps up here. But Ohio has been the better team, especially on the defensive perspective. They have eliminated explosive plays from their opposing teams that they've had to get to this point. Uh, I'll take the Bobcats to win their first conference championship since the 60s. Yeah, that would make me very happy. Go Bobs. And yeah, Finn it can't, is not mobile. He's uh, pretty ineffective, as we saw last week. And he did not look like he was going to have be able to gain much mobility in a week's time frame. All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks, as always, to Colin for joining me. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. As you've done all season long, make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy, leave a review. We'll do a bunch of giveaways during bowl season. Again, don't forget about the voicemail, 959-BAD-BEAT. And uh, let's have a weekend and close out the year strong, heading into bowl season, one of my favorite times of the year. You know we'll have you covered throughout. It's time for us to go find some last-minute winners and keep track of this portal and all the craziness as we get ready for our bowl episodes. So thanks again for tuning in. Thanks to the audio and video teams on the back end. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. Peace out.